You know, the first weekend in November used to be one of my favorite times of the year as a younger person when I was single. I would sleep in on that turn back or fall back the clock, um, getting, getting finishing up the uh, daylight savings time. You got that extra hour of sleep, slept in on that Sunday morning, kind of felt nice. You felt refreshed. And then I had kids. And that doesn't come as a warning label on the box, but uh, the kids don't get the memo that it's fall back and you can kind of like sleep in an extra hour, you know. Um, these little gremlins, I've got three of them, and they, they, they're up before the sun's up and just ready for the day. I mean, I think they have FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. They just think there's so much that's going to happen. And I'm like, it is 5 a.m., and I don't think our neighbors appreciate the rumpus that is going on here, but they're wanting to eat breakfast and go outside and play. And I'm like groggy and a little bit, you know, just um, frustrated. And um, I said, kids, it's still nighttime. And Rosie, my, the youngest one, she's, she's adorable, but she, she said, but daddy, the sun's up. And, you know, if, if, you, if you peeked at the horizon, you might be able to see a sliver of sunlight. But it's like she has that sixth sense. The sun is up. It's time to get up. Uh, she knew what time it was. I couldn't argue with her logic. And it's a reminder to us uh, that we need to know what time it is. Paul in Romans 13 today in our text, he's, he's saying, you know what time it is. You know. It's time to get up. It's time to get dressed. And he's not talking simply about time like on a clock. He's not talking about chronological time. No, he's talking about kairos time. It's, it's the type of time, the kind of time it is, what season it is. He's talking about there's a change at a critical juncture where there's a divine appointment that's invoking in us a critical response, a fundamental reorientation of our, of our being and our lives towards something that is true. It's, it's what we hear Jesus saying in, in Mark's gospel in the opening chapter when the first lines Jesus speaks are, repent. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's an announcement, a proclamation that something has changed and it requires something of us. It's a word that's given to us and it works on us. It's an announcement of freedom and life and goodness that what you and I are incapable of doing on our own, God has accomplished in the person work of Jesus. And here in the season of Advent, as we embark on the next four weeks leading up to Christmas, leading up to the coming of Christ in the flesh, uh, we're called to be watchful, to anticipate with longing. What is God up to? And it's good news. What is the substance of this good news? Well, we're people of story. Everybody resonates with stories, and all good stories have echoes of the deepest desires in the human heart. Our, our longings for, for good to triumph over evil, for, for things to be made right, so that peace and justice might prevail and win out over the darkness of evil. And, and we see this in sketches, in, in scenes of, of stories that you and I love, perhaps that your children love. We watch these movies over and over again to remind us of something that is true. Stories like True Love's Kiss that can break the spell of death. Stories like a personal and deep love that is powerful enough to transform the hideousness of the beast. 
Stories like the long-awaited conquering king who comes in as the hero and causes all the shadows and darkness to flee, flooding the earth with light. Stories like a deeper magic that has the power to free us from the clutches of evil. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, in that gospel, in this announcement of what he has done on our behalf, these myths, these stories, they become fact. They have actually, God has actually broken into our world, into our time and place with this announcement. He's brought life and light that eradicates all that's wrong and unjust. And he hasn't done it, though, from, from a cold, distant place. But actually by coming into the realities on the ground, by entering into solidarity with us, with our frailty, he aligns himself with our plight. And in the incarnation, God took on humanity in all of making all of who we are both glorious and also profoundly needy. See, he resisted all temptation and scorned that, and endured the scorn and hatred of onlookers. He died a death that only a sinner deserves, though he himself was without blame. And he rose victoriously from the grave for our justification, that we might become children of God. He lives forever as our advocate and redeemer. See, Jesus, he overcame evil for our sakes. A deeper magic has indeed prevailed. And it's true. It's all wonderfully true. And Advent provides for you and me this double exposure of the coming of God into our midst. He answered his long, the long-suffering anticipation of God's people in his first coming. And he promises to come again and make all things new. But we have to live still in this tension, don't we? Where all doesn't seem to be made right before our eyes. We have it symbolized in the lighting of the Advent candles during this season. We're lighting these candles, dissipating the darkness slowly as each candle is lit until the Christ candles. And, and the light has already begun to shine and we, we confess this in our confession. You know, Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen. But then we're waiting for the fullness of this. Christ will come again. And that, that's why we're sitting here. That's why we come here each week, longing and yearning for that which is broken to be made well. Hoping for healing and restoration of all that's broken. And so like that rude 5 a.m. wake-up call from my kids, it seems that these, these beams of light haven't quite become radiant enough to expel all darkness. You might be walking through a season now that you feel enshrouded by darkness, by despair, disappointment. Maybe you feel hopelessness sag in your shoulders under the burden and weight of what you're going through. And we're all looking around, aren't we, to find a way to explain it away or to distract ourselves, maybe to numb the pain just a little bit, make it feel like it's okay. Advent's a time, though, to remember those aches, to remember those pains, that each gray hair you inherit, each wrinkle that comes across your skin, every funeral you have to endure. It's a further reminder, isn't it? Things are not all made well. The realities of God's final victory in Christ hasn't arrived in fullness. And God made us this way. He made us hungry, hungry to experience life, Hungry to to keep coming back over and over again to the places where we can find it. And we find it in people 
We find it in objects, in experiences, in activities. And we derive satisfaction from those things. And many of them are often good. Good things like family and friends and relationships and success and a career and a good standing in a community and being a productive citizen, all really good things, noble things. But it also comes out in disordered ways, doesn't it? In our own private addictions to pornography or alcohol use. In the ways that maybe we seek to control our own bodies to find some semblance of control in our lives. Or maybe we find ways to control others. See, Paul mentions a few things in Romans 13. He talks about not participating in the works of darkness. The, the, the night has gone and the day has come, so we need to put away these other things. And he mentions orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, quarreling, jealousy. It's because we're all a mixed bag, each of us. You know, we have some, some sense of life in us, and yet we're longing and we're clamoring to experience more. We're all well adept at searching out things that make us feel like life has meaning, like it can come together, like we fit. And yet we remain unfulfilled, often even empty. We're busy bustling with activity and things to do, so much on our plates that that it stresses us out, and yet we're so easily bored. We're surrounded by people all the time, people everywhere, and yet we can be desperately lonely. I think the incarnation of God in the flesh, he brings great dignity to our struggle because he aligns himself with our very struggles, with our very sufferings. You are not alone walking in the darkness. The light is right there with you. The light has shined. And that makes Advent a great time to remember to wake up from whatever slumber we have fallen into, to tune our hearts in anticipation of what God is doing and coming and making all things new. And so Paul's instruction to us today is to put on Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's a stress on Lord, the Lordship of Jesus. He's Lord and not me. Means conforming our desires, our wills, bending ourselves under his gracious rule. Submitting ourselves to his his will. Um, He's either king of all or he's not king at all. He's king of your life, and he wants all of it. Um, And see, the love of God, it's been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And and so we get to to turn, we're much like sunflowers, turning to face the sun. We're, we're, We're turning to face the very source of life and light, who is Jesus. And we come to him over and over again. We're to put on Jesus. But I mean, what does that mean? How do you put on Jesus? You know, I, I was the young Christian in college who, you know, I, I liked to wear the T-shirts. You know, they would, they would take um, advertisements for products and, like, put, like, somehow sneak Jesus or Christ into them. I remember I had a T-shirt instead of Crest toothpaste, you know, the red and white. Yeah, it was a white background with red and blue letters. Instead of Crest, it said Christ. And I think it was, like, makes you shiny and new or something like that, you know. Or, or, or instead of the Budweiser, this Bud's for you. I had this Blood's for you. Yeah, that was me. I, I ran the Peachtree Road Race with a just plain T-shirt that I that I wrote um, Philippians 4:13 out on the back, and uh, and you know I can do all things through Christ who makes gives me strength. But I was um, I was walking up that hill, at Cardiac Hill. I'll tell you that. Um, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I had the bumper sticker. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. I had the Jesus fish on there. People saw a flying fish going down the highway, I'm sure. But that's, that's not what Paul is meaning here. He's, he's, he's meaning something else. He's meaning a life of discipleship, a life of repenting and believing again the good news. And, and he says it really well in a, in a very famous passage in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He tells us this, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a transformative power. It's how we get dressed. Because we're summoned to join God and what he is doing by conforming our wills to his, by looking to him for help and hope and salvation, and not to all the um, self-medicating things that we turn to. Know what time it is. Know what time it is. It's time to put on Jesus Christ. It's time to put off darkness, things that keep us shrouded in darkness, and it's time to turn towards the light. And we do this putting on of Jesus by remembering each week our baptism. Every day, remembering who you are in Christ. Martin Luther, the great reformer, this, this was something he would tell himself regularly when he struggled with anxiety and fear and when he, had the, when he had doubts that he didn't even belong to God or belong in the ministry. He would point at himself and say, I'm baptized. I'm baptized. I'm clothed in Christ. His righteousness has been given to me. So whatever stories we are being told, whatever kind of self-talk we do internally, we need to return always to the declarative word of God that you are made righteous in his sight, that he, you are his child in whom he is delighted and well-pleased. It is good news, friends, that we return to because God's grace, it is greater than our shame. His forgiveness is greater than our paltry attempts at self-improvement. God's love, it surpasses all efforts we could ever make for self-acceptance and actualization. Salvation is nearer now than you think. He is here in our midst even. And his love is strong enough to overcome any apathy, any discouragement, any misguided intentions we have. And helps us to live differently, reorienting ourselves. Even during this season of anticipating all the fun that go, and festivity that comes with Christmas. We're to live with expectancy, expectancy of, of a different kind, because Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord and your boss is not. Jesus is Lord and that, that self-condemning, um, slave-driving voice in your head is not. Jesus is Lord and the social pressures around you is not. He is Lord. We get to look to him with anticipation. And so how might these old patterns begin to give way during this season? I hope you'll join me in asking yourself just simple questions throughout this Advent season. Questions like, how might I put on gratitude instead of jealousy? How might I put on wonder and amazement at God's goodness instead of cynicism? How might I put on patience with others instead of succumbing to bitterness and anger? How might I put on holy longing instead of just clamoring to the easiest, quickest fix for immediate gratification? 
You see, wrestling with questions like these, it's not a sign that you're not with it, that you're missing out on something everybody else has, no. On the contrary, you're engaging in a personal way with the personal God who loves you personally and radically through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's all we have to hold out to one another is the remembrance that you were made for a purpose. You are made in his image and you are redeemed by the ultimate image bearer, Jesus. And I want to leave you with uh, the words of Frederick Bonhoeffer, who was part of the confessing church in Germany under the Nazi regime. He was actually martyred for his faith. Before he was killed, he wrote this. Look up, you whose gaze is fixed on this earth, who are spellbound by the little events and changes on the face of the earth. Look up to these words, you who have turned away from heaven, disappointed, Look up, you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that the earth has gracelessly torn us away. Look up, you who burdened with guilt cannot lift your eyes. Look up, your redemption is drawing near. Something different from what you daily see will happen. Just be aware, be watchful. Wait just another short moment, wait, and something quite new will break over you. God will come. God will come. The night is gone and the day is at hand. The sun is rising. Get up. Get dressed. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.